What number is this, Chip? Zilch, 162. Monkeys a la carte, 101. Tim Powers and I talk a Stranger Things Have Happened Zoom listening party. And more. Way more. Okay, I don't, mean, I don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. This is your one of your hosts, Sarah Clark, and I am joined today by the one, the only Tim Powers. <laughs> yeah, I you know what? It's it's funny. According to the Screen Actors Guild, I am the one and only Tim Powers. However, there are several of us out there, including a noteworthy science fiction author who also has my name and wrote the screenplay for the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Oh wow! So I am I am the one and only uh, Zilch centric Tim Powers. But okay. yes, it's always good to work with you again, Sarah. We haven't you and I haven't worked together since gosh, it's been like two two or three years now since we did the uh, the library episode where yeah, we went I, through some of the more advanced monkeys books. Yeah, it's been a couple of years because I think I was already in Philly, but I don't think I'd been in Philly very long when we did it, if I remember no. right. No, in fact, I was on a business trip in Washington D.C. I think when we when we were doing it. <laughs> yep, strange the lives we lead. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, so, but we've got a lot to talk about uh, before we get into the uh, get into the episode. Yeah, uh, really excited about this. Uh, Stranger things have happened. Yes, we have a great announcement for y'all, and and we actually kind of rushed to get this episode out so that we could let you guys know, because uh, on um, February 13th, uh, so about a week from now, when you are hearing this, if you're hearing this on release date, uh, the Peter Tork Facebook team has invited everybody to join them on Zoom for a listening party for Peter Tork's solo album, Stranger Things Have Happened, which, as you all know, has been lovingly released by the folks at 7A... At 7A Records. What label is that? 7A. I'm not, I'm not going to do the whole thing because I know I'm taller than you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 5'4 on a good day. <laughs> the party is free, but we are asking folks to register to attend, and we will throw the link in the show notes. We are capping the party registration at 80 attendees. This is to keep it manageable for conversation. We're going to be chatting. We're going to be talking in voice chat. Um, it's going to be crazy, but it's going to be a lot of fun. If you uh, have been around for a long time back in the day when uh, folks would do those uh, monkeys listening parties where everybody would kind of put on their album at the same time and just chat with each other. This is what the PTFB team is trying to replicate. Those of you who register should keep an eye out for an email the day before the event, which will provide login information to Zoom, as well as a few guidelines to make this a fun, welcoming event for all Torkies. This is going to be really cool. Uh, we're going to have Grin Gretland from 7A Records, Mark Yay. Kleiner, 
Yes. Yay. He's an awesome Mark wrote those liner notes, right? Mark wrote the liner notes. Man, what a great job on those Oh, man. I mean, I almost forgot to actually listen to the dang CD. I was just so captivated by the liner notes. And I mean, I'm one of those people. I've been around. I My first time seeing a monkey was on this uh, two-man band tour right after Stranger Things Have Happened came out. Uh, I mean, and so... I've known a lot about Peter's solo career and about this album in particular, but I learned so much from Mark's liner notes that I had no clue about. Yeah, it's um, it it's almost worth the price of the entire package. I mean, I've owned the album. I bought it when it came out, and I enjoyed it. And was I was I enticed by the bonus tracks? Yes and no. But man, the liner notes and you and I have been around Monkey's fandom forever. It's hard for us to find new. Yeah. New information, new minutia. Mm-hmm. Mark Mark found it. It's it's fascinating. It's well written notes. Yeah, I mean, and the you, interviews, it, the people he got interviews with. I mean, it was just awesome. Yeah. And then of course James Lee Stanley. Yay. Uh, Peter, yes, yay! If you guys don't follow James Lee, like his his concerts that he does on Facebook, y'all need to check him out. Because if you like Peter's stuff, especially like kind of his folky stuff, you will love James Lee Stanley. The, yep. You know, yeah. Just to be clear, the producer of the uh, of the Stranger Things Have Happened album and uh, and worked with Peter very closely on making the album what we know and love today. He was instrumental, if you'll pardon the wicked pun. <laughs> in I think that in together. this case, I will for pardon. I mean, I don't think that album would exist, certainly not in the form it did, not for no, James Lee. Not at all. Uh, yeah. We owe him a lot. And um, James is a, is a great interviewer and a, a wonderful and freelance human being, James. We love you for mm-hmm. that. Um, and put out some of my favorite records too. So I'm, I'm really pumped to get this. So this is going to be like an old time listening party. We're going to be, we're going to be playing, uh, cuts from the CD and discussing those cuts and talking about our memories of, of, of when we discovered the album, what the music means to us, um, what Peter meant to us. Uh, how cool it is to hear three of the four guys, uh, doing harmony on one particular track, which is just absolutely beautiful. And, uh, so, and it's an open conversation. We'd love for you to join us and, uh, and tell us about, uh, your experience with this album. And if you're hearing it for the first time, man, are you in for a treat? Yeah. Yeah. It's an excellent album and it's going to be a great time, especially because as, as I may have mentioned or I may have glossed over, Tim Powers is going to be emceeing this little event. <laughs> so. Right. Braver man than I. (laughs) All those years in broadcast school. And now here I am hosting a listening party for, uh, for a re-release of a fantastic, actually one of my favorite albums, really. And I have a, I have, I, I've heard a lot of music and this is, this is really one of my favorite albums. It is clearly a labor of love for everyone involved. And, um, I love that my opinion of this album was validated by the liner notes. It really was a labor of love. It's going to be exciting. So Sarah, how can someone sign up? Well, they can go to the show notes of this episode or they can go to the Peter Tork Facebook page and the Eventbrite link is right there at the top of the Peter Tork Facebook page. It will also be in the links in the show notes. All you need to do is click on it, enter your info. Again, this is free, totally free. All you need is a computer or even a cell phone that can connect to Zoom. And honestly, if you know how to subscribe to a podcast, if you know how to use Facebook, you'll figure out Zoom. It's a little intimidating at first, but really it's just, it's really plug and play. And if you don't want to have your microphone turned on or you don't want your camera turned on, you don't have to do any of that. Just join in and have fun. 
Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, there will be there will be some things to give away. So, uh, you know, there may be some door prizes. Who knows? And furthermore, Sarah and I would really like to thank the folks uh, over at the Peter Torque Facebook page and and Peter's handlers for being so great. We could not have done this without them. And um, just everybody over there has just been absolutely dynamite. Yeah, we've been doing joint projects with them on this and that since really since like 2016 and um it's been a really wonderful continuing relationship and we look forward to doing more with them going forward well now that we've got that bit of business done uh ken actually the podfather recorded a little editorial on um some recent uh pop culture events involving our guys basically uh those of you who are fans of the new marvel tv show wandavision have probably noticed a uh, familiar song making an, a, an appearance in a few of the trailers in one of the episodes and uh also uh, the the bernie sanders meme which was sweeping the nation about a week or so ago uh definitely got uh its 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 show in monkey world too so he's going yep. to kind of share his thoughts on those things right here Hello, Zilch Nation. It is I, Ken Mills, and today I'm going to do a bit of an editorial that I'm going to call Monkeys, Memes, and Mittens, and Meaning. It's been an interesting time. Hey, we've made it. Here we are in 2021. We've survived, right? Aren't you glad? I know I am, and I'm glad to see you. Glad you're here with us. 2020 was a tough year, and so many things got pushed onto the back burners culturally and in our actual day-to-day lives. The monkeys were no exception. Recently, there's been a couple things happening with the monkeys. One of them having something to do almost nothing with them, and that is Bernie Sanders. This is not a political conversation, but the Bernie Sanders meme, they they took over the internet. It was really amazing. It When you think about it, it was the kind of rarest of memes in the sense that Nobody was being made fun of. Nobody was being hurt. There was no butt of the joke. It was just a very authentic guy trying to stay warm. And somehow that caught all of our imagination in a time when we really needed a smile. And it was great to see all these different fandoms and different types of fans take this and put it with their thing. And eventually, somebody got upset with it. But the thing is, is that if the monkeys weren't cool... They wouldn't have been able to be paired with Senator Bernie Sanders keeping warm with his mittens. And it was an expression of how important joy is, how much fun was to be had there, and how the monkeys can fit with just about anything. In 2021, that's an amazing thing. Another thing about our pop culture is we no longer have what I'm going to call linear culture. We used to have the big campfire. And by that I mean, chances are, in the town where you lived growing up, there was maybe three stations, maybe five at the most. And chances are, if something big was on one of the networks, more than likely, a good third to three-fourths of your town was probably watching it. We think about how big the Beatles' first appearance on Ed Sullivan was, for example, and how it got the biggest number of viewers it it just went off the charts. And now, TV's no longer that way. Like, for example, let's say that somebody did a dance to Daydream Believer on Dancing with the Stars, and they wore the monkey's 
eight button shirts, right? And it happened at 8.32 on a Tuesday night. Then everybody that would see it at the same time would all get on the internet at the same time and say, wow, did anybody see what happened on the Dancing with the Stars today? Well, television is no longer a linear form of entertainment in that we're streaming and seeing things as they are released or when we get to it. So it's been exciting that the monkeys have been part of WandaVision. Now, for those of you who don't care, Marvel Entertainment, Marvel Comics, and Marvel movies and TV shows are about one of the biggest things going in entertainment right now. And in the show, spoiler alert, I believe that the main character, Wanda, is trying to recreate something of a happy universe because the one that she's living in is not necessarily a good one. And I think that she's seeing things and recreating her reality in the things that she saw growing up, whether it was reruns of the Dick Van Dyke show, I Love Lucy, Bewitched, The Brady Bunch, and maybe even The Monkees. Because the odd thing is, is that this woman who has all these amazing mystical powers is literally dreaming up the world she wants. And the song Daydream Believer is being used. And first we saw it in a commercial about a month ago. And then we saw in episode three and four where they used the song. So to me, it's quite possible that Wanda Maximoff saw the monkeys and, of course, the Brady Bunch episode with Davy. And these were things from her childhood that made her feel good. And the thing about the Internet is that we have this idea that we can tell other people what not to do and what not to like, right? But the problem is that the Internet is not made just for you. It's made for everybody. So, like I said, we're not on a linear time anymore. And now, people just hop on and say, Hey, did you see that? Hey, did you see that? Hey, did you see that? Hey, did you... And the problem is, whenever I go to post something, I don't get on there and look for, like, through 30 posts to see if somebody's posting the same thing. But it was exciting to see and hear the monkeys. It was exciting that the monkeys were part of Marvel Entertainment. It was exciting that the monkeys and Daydream Believer are still relevant in 2021. So it really was an extension of joy. So if you got tired of seeing the memes with the monkeys and Bernie and the mittens, and if you got tired of reading about how Daydream Believer is being used as a commercial or in a TV show, just realize that it's a celebration and an excitement that really there's not too much else to get excited about in 2021 so far. So we're all trying to be happy. So let's all be happy together, like the turtle said. So sending love to you, and we'll get back to Sarah and the rest of the gang here at Zilch, a podcast full of monkeys. Thank you for listening to some of my silly thoughts. Love you all. Peace and love. Peace and love. Which was which was your favorite Bernie monkeys meme? I'm not sure if I saw all of them. I think maybe the Pisces one. Uh, the Pisces one was good. The, my favorite was the one where the boys are sitting on Alameda Avenue outside the NBC studios. Oh yeah, right? yeah. And they're all on the right. It's from the um, it's from the um, the Hubble Benson episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guys are sitting outside NBC. Well, what the house that's in that picture is still there on either Olive or Alameda, right across from where the old NBC studios are. And that vacant lot that's right behind Bernie in the pictures is now a Wiener Schnitzel restaurant. Oh, wow. So you can, you can go by and see that house. <laughs> awesome. You know what? 
I mean, you're on my coast now. You're not on the West Coast anymore. But when we can all travel again, you and I need to go out to L.A. We'll pick up Roseanne and we will just like do the whole oh, you L.A. Do the tour? touristy, you know, monkey sights. Man, I, I did a lot of them, too. They're really cool. Bronson Cavern, where yep. the, uh, the where Head was shot. Um, Peter's house up in Beechwood Canyon with the sign in front. There's there. If you look for it, there's monkey stuff everywhere. It's well, it's still hidden. Yeah, but I am not pushing a bed across the street at Sunset and Gower with you. Neither am I. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, it's time to get into Monkeys 101. Roseanne and I had a great time uh, this episode talking about Monkeys a la carte, which is not Monkeys a la mode. We had kind of some fun talking about the various, very similar uh, episode titles in this one. So uh, if you will, Tim, go ahead and push the red button and we will get started. Wait, the the red one, this one? No, wait, the, that, no, wait, the, the big red one? Yes. Okay, hold on. It's <sighs> a big old button, Sarah. Yeah, well, you know, we do things right around here. That's the truth. Well, <laughs> Ken runs a tight ship. Yep. <laughs> Don't hit me, Ken. Class, class, it's Monkeys 101. Here at Zilch, a monkey's podcast, we're big fans of education. But as Zilch Nation grows, there's also a growing number of fans who don't know their Frodus from their Freebull Energizer, or who've forgotten the departure time for last train to Clarksville. There are even people in this world who can't solve the equation nine times blue. Oh, but have no fear, because doctors Roseanne Welch and Sarah Clark are here to help with their new series, Monkeys 101. Their regular class sessions and symposiums on special topics will explore all things monkeys, from the deeper meanings of the TV show and music we all know and love, to the cultural impact of the monkeys from 1966 all the way to the present. We'll even explore the monkeys' connections to history then and now. Stay tuned for a fun, thoughtful romp through the world of the monkeys, and who knows? At the end of the episode, you just might be thinking about the monkeys in a different, deeper way. Welcome back to Monkeys 101. Once again, I'm Dr. Sarah Clark. And I'm Dr. Roseanne Welch. Uh, lovely to be appearing in your uh, earbuds or car stereos yet again. Today we'll be talking about episode 11 of The Monkeys, title Monkeys a la Carte, which is not the same as Monkeys a la Mode. <laughs> Logline, a gangster has taken over the boys' favorite Italian restaurant, so they disguise themselves as the Purple Flower Game. This is easily the most violent episode of the series, with no less than six dead bodies at the end of a 90-second shootout. <laughs> True. Oh, my God. I never thought about the body count on the monkeys. Who cares? But, oh, my gosh, there is one. Yeah, our our, our previous host emerita, Melanie Mitchell, t- pointed out one time, it's like they treat it for last, but really, it's kind of horrific. <laughs> for little children to watch, Yeah. <laughs> Written by Gerald Gardner and Dee Caruso and Bernie Orenstein, directed by James Frawley. Uh, it was filmed 
August 9th through 12th of 1966 and aired November 21st of 1966. Got a 19.9 rating and a 33.1 share, which works out to 10,900,000 viewers, give or take. It actually won its time slot for the second week in a row, with Iron Horse and Gilligan's Island coming in second and third, respectively. Um, amazing for Gilligan's Island. They were a number one show. I know. I was really surprised they came in third. And, and most weeks they win the time slot, and it's kind of a battle between Iron Horse and the Monkees for second. But every so often they sneak in there, especially kind of this like late first season, early second season. They get some first places on. in there. Right. Yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. Absolutely. So um, I know, Roseanne, you wanted to talk some about Bernie Orenstein and also about Gerald Gardner, who is, we are recording this, had passed away uh, about a month ago. Exactly, exactly. One of the things I learned from, it's so funny how uh, there's this thing in academia that I'm sure you've heard of, of course, because we're both sharing this doctor title, but the unreliable narrator. Yes. We always give ourselves more... Uh, involvement in things. And so I wondered how many times, because Gerald and Dee were the showrunners, although that term was not in use then, they were the script editors. Um, but they hired everybody and they did the final pass on all the episodes and they did a lot of plotting out of what sort of stories would be told. So that's those are the things I learned from Gerald when I got to interview him. And he was quite the most elegant of gentlemen, lived in a beautiful house with a, a second story. And at that time, his wife was having difficulty walking. So they had one of those hydraulic chair things that went mm. up the stairs. I was just like, wow, to be able to provide that for your family off the residuals of all this work you did in the 1960s and 70s um, was a very a pretty thing to see. And they were a lovely couple. And he had had quite uh, quite an experience as a writer. He started out doing these little booklets that were kind of like what today would be little memes on Facebook, but you take pictures of famous people and you put little dialogue boxes and say something funny coming out of their mouth, really. And, but they were published and then sold as these comic things. And he got found doing that. So then he started doing some early stuff, including get smart and um, the folks who were putting together the monkeys, um, Raffleson and, and um, Schneider called the folks at get smart and said, do you have any new young hot writers? And they suggested Gerald and D. So that's how Gerald gets involved. And he, they do have the final pass on everything. But then when I talk to the individual freelance writers, so if you ever see just D and Gerald, it's they wrote the whole thing start to finish. Then you see that third name, it means this is a freelance writer who was brought in, did most of the work, but then they did a final pass on it. And some of the freelance writers will tell you, they shouldn't have taken credit. They didn't do that much. And other ones will go, yeah, they, you know, they had to do a lot because I wasn't there full time. So that becomes, if only you could sit down at the Writer's Guild Library and look at all the levels, each stage of the script to find out how much change happened. Mm-hmm. It'd be really fascinating. Um, in this case, Bernie Orenstein um, pretty much said he understood that they did a lot because he didn't work there full time. He worked on a show called The Hollywood Palace. And that was really kind of a variety show. Hmm. And as he as he said it, it was the kind of show that was more often you'd get Sinatra and Dean Martin, not some new hip group. Right. So he didn't really understand what was behind the show. And I think you'll notice he his episodes, and he only did three, right? He did um, Dance, Monkey, Dance and Success mm-hmm. Story, which is we always considered one of the best ones. Yeah. But he's very good on the vaudeville gag stuff because that's what he did on Hollywood Palace. You know, silly nonsense and changing of clothes and the prop stuff. He was more into the gags than he was into the story. Yeah. Well, that's interesting to know because we actually have one of the guest stars. When we get that into a minute, actually, they were in the business so long, their career actually started in vaudeville. And you've got kind of that vibe in this episode, definitely. 
completely. They use the guys much more like Marx Brothers than than many other writers do. So, yeah. so yeah, so both of them. So you know, Bernie's a very interesting guy. And he's still alive. He's a, a professor emeritus actually in New York, at University of New York. Hmm. And the one funny thing he told me was he said, "I'm teaching television television history." Heck, I am television history. <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> exactly. And and also we'll talk a little bit about the presentation of Italians in this episode who were still an odd minority at that time, right? We weren't as washed into, and I'm Sicilian American, but because my grandparents were the immigrants, so you mm-hmm. would never know that looking at me. But we weren't as washed into the culture. We were still exotic and different. And part of that is what comes out in this episode. And oddly enough, often, Either Jewish writers wrote about Italians or Jewish actors portrayed Italians. Yes. In the same era where we're going to talk about today, you know, we have people of different backgrounds portraying Middle Eastern people or um, whatever that is. So there's this whole history in Hollywood of of not being comfortable with whatever was the odd group of the time. And this is all in context of the fact that Mickey was Italian, right? Yeah, I was about to bring that up. And he was sort of... um kind of play this kind of the the quirky character in some ways you you drew that connection which i'd never made yeah oh yeah exactly he was the one you could make fun of because he was from the exotic background so i think all of that plays interestingly in this episode was really just a silly farce but there's a lot of popular culture stuff going on there that comes out of the writers and comes out of the time period yeah fascinating (sighs) always stuff to learn about this i know (laughs) Well, rolling on to what was in the news this week, it was actually, uh, at least by recent standards of the episodes we've been covering, uh, it was a little bit of a quiet news week on the week of November 21st, 1966. On the 22nd, the 32nd Heisman Trophy was awarded to Steve Spurrier from Florida, quarterback, as I'm sure most of us know. On uh, November 24th, this one was really interesting. Uh, apparently, that was the smoggiest day in the city's history. Um, those of you who are friend, f- fans of The Crown probably saw the smog episode that they had in the first season. Um, apparently, 400 people died of respiratory failure and heart attacks in New York City due to this smog. And well, think about it. I mean, we're we're right at the peak before, like here in California, the same thing. It was really bad. There are cities like Burbank and Glendale. You were told not to move to because they're right up against the hills, and so the smog travels from the in the industrial part of the city to the suburb, and then stops there and holds over those two cities because it's trapped by the mountains. Yeah. And now those cities are beautiful, and many people like to live there. So it, big difference we made with with smog overtaking care of the um, cars that we had too much of and still have too much of, but we have better, I guess, regulations on them now. Yeah. Much better regulations and just, you know, we're, we know more, so we do better. So ah, ooh, that's it's great. You should, that should be like on a t-shirt. <laughs> I, I read that somewhere. When you know better, you do better or something like that. Uh-huh. So yeah. Love that. Yeah. Uh, and then also on November 24th, uh, the Beatles began their recording session for their album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Co- Club Band, which mm. of course we'll be hearing more about as time ticks on. <laughs> wait, wait, are you sure that one with the Bee Gees? I have an album and the Bee Gees are on that actually. <laughs> Sorry, I think I that one was a few years later, Roseanne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, moving on to the top five, which was also pretty unchanged this week. There was actually only one song that changed spots. Um, number five, unchanged, Poor Side of Town, Johnny Rivers. How can you tell me how much you missed me? 
when the last time I saw you, you wouldn't even kiss me. Uh, number four, up two, uh, Devil with a Blue Dress slash Good Golly Miss Molly by Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Those of you who were paying attention to the last episode know that last week's number four was Clarksville. That has now dropped out of the top five. But have no despair. Other monkeys' tunes are coming. <laughs> number three, Unchanged, Winchester Cathedral by the new Vaudeville Band. Winchester Cathedral. Unchanged, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys, always a good one. And number one, Unchanged, You Keep Me Hanging On by the Supremes. cool it's always fun to think about the monkeys and the supremes being around at the same time i know it's not one of those things you necessarily think of but yeah they they connect and and actually listening to them that's been the interesting thing putting together like the clips from the top five like when i'd listen to a monkey's tune and then supremes or beach boys or you know even things like johnny rivers where you wouldn't think they're as connected but you can hear kind of the crossover between them you know it's like oh, yeah. yeah it do- doesn't matter kind of what subgenre you're talking about but there's a lot of kind of commonalities that are going on with the pop music stuff's in the air that everyone's kind of catching really and as we know so many of them live together whether we're talking motown they're all hanging out there or whether Mm -hmm. the folks here in lowell canyon they're sort of they are working off each other even if they don't even recognize well yeah and also a lot of the um songwriters cross these quote unquote lines too um you know carol king is the one who jumps to mind i mean she wrote for pretty much everybody you know exactly well and neil diamond as well yeah he's another great example uh moving on to our guest stars um this actually i counted up after i spent like 45 minutes putting this together this is the most guest stars we've had in an episode so far with a total of nine um we do need to get to the episode at some point so some of these people i may kind of have to summarize but you know as always they're interesting character actors with interesting histories i pulled kind of the greatest hits but feel free to as always take a look at their imd um credits um interestingly enough uh pop uh, played by Paul DeVille. This is actually only one of only two uh, IMD credit, DB credits for him. Um, he was also in a B movie in 1972 called Moon of the Wolf. So, but <laughs> interesting. Yeah, and but what I know about him is that he was actually born in Italy, which is cool. So he's truly an Italian, not even an Italian American too much. But he was born in 1889. Yeah, he is either the oldest or the second oldest of the folks who appear in this episode. So <laughs> amazing when you think about what cross. Like my grandfather was born in 1898 um, wow. in Sicily, and I often tell students it's so interesting to think here's a guy who rode a donkey to the boat that took him from Sicily to Italy and from Italy then to the United States. And by the time he was 86, 
he flew in an airplane to go to his brother's funeral. And you're like, in one lifetime, that changed. Yeah. 20th century. It was something. (laughs) It's true. And think about this guy, right? He's going to start in a world that's like opera and classical music. And here he's in this thing where he says, play boys, play what I like to hear. And you're like, you don't know anything about rock music, but okay. (laughs) Hey, it's a paycheck. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, next up, we have Harvey Limbeck as Fuseli. Um, he actually was Sergeant Harry Shapiro in Stalag 17, which was a role he originated on the stage. I hadn't actually even known that movie had started as a play. Uh, and he did a lot of uh, theater work as well. So, yeah. He did. He did well. And he's interesting because he worked almost up until, well, he did work up until the year he died, his last uh, bit being on Mork and Mindy. I know. I know. He actually died of a heart attack shortly after that. Um, he was also, uh, he showed up a lot in Danny Thomas and the Phil Silver shows. Um, and he was the recurring villain, Eric Von Zipper, in the <laughs> Frankie Avalon and Nett Funicello Beach movies. Talk about a career. <laughs> Oh yeah, and you know in those he's really he's riff- here's here's a, a weird side connection to the monkeys. He's uh-huh. riffing on Marlon Brando and the Wild One, which of course we get around to the Wild Monkeys, and that's what they're going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like everyone had this, everyone knew that movie, and I I would say that a lot of people today they know Brando from The Godfather, they know Brando from On the Waterfront, uh-huh. they don't know the Wild One as yeah. a movie, and that was really what branded Brando as oh my gosh, hot new guy we have to pay attention to. You know, and I don't think I've watched that one either. I mean, I've seen on the waterfront God, the Godfather movies, obviously, but yeah, now, now I need to go back and check that and, out. So yep, and see how it reflects what, what, uh, Lembeck is doing. And then also obviously what the guys are going to do it in Wild Monkeys. Yeah. And then one other thing I wanted to throw in, uh, as mentioned, he actually did at least as much theater work as he did TV work. And, uh, he was Sancho Panza in the first national company of Man of La Mancha. Think about that, that how serious you have to be for that character, that kind of a piece. And then he's going to do this Eric Von Zipper. So he had a real range. Yeah, yeah, that was what was surprising me. And, and then, of course, he had like all the standard kind of 60s and 70s guest spots like Batman and Partridge Family and, you know, Love Boat and all that good stuff, too. So exactly. Exactly. he could do a real range. Anything. And the other thing is what we mentioned earlier. He's a Jewish guy playing in Italian. Yes, exactly. I was who I kind of thought of when you mentioned that earlier. So exactly, and yeah. that happens a lot. And just as a side note, you you do know his character's name, Fusilli, mm-hmm. is the style of pasta. Ah, so it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> just switch one letter, the I to an E, and you have a a, a type of the many many types of pasta. So yes. That, first thing I heard that made me laugh. I bet. Moving on to Rocco, played by Carl Lucas, uh, like Limbeck. He was also a re- regular on the Phil Silver Show. Uh, he appeared in several episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, um, Mr. Ed Bewitched, and he was the doorman Scotty on Family Affair. Oh, how, I, I didn't even pay attention to that. I was thinking about he ends up as the maintenance man on St. Elsewhere. Yeah, Carl, is- the maintenance man on St. Elsewhere. And he also appeared in the mo- war movie Tora, Tora, Tora. So. <sighs> That's a huge credit for a guy. That's I know. Wide, that was a wide ranging career. Yeah, IMDb, when they have featured things, it was like Tora, 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 and St. Elsewhere. So. <laughs> oh, cool. And St. Elsewhere is really credited as being, you know, before we even have um, NYPD Blue, before we even have LA Law um, and all that stuff, He that was the beginning of the complex, multi narrative things that lead to Grey's Anatomy, those kinds of shows. That was the start of it. Yeah, it, it was like. Kind of the proto version of prestige TV almost. 
Exactly. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on to the other side of the law, we've got Dort Clark as the inspector. This is first of his three appearances on the monkeys. Um, interestingly, his law enforcement career seems to basically be on the downslope through the series because he's inspector in this. He'll be seen as sergeant in the picture frame, which is not art for monkey's sake, and a mere officer in Monkeys on the Wheel, which is not Monkeys Race Again. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> he definitely he gets demoted. Yeah, he, yeah, uh, and, but he, he seems to get cast as a lot of, uh, law enforcement officers. He had multiple appearances on Car 54 with Where Are You, as well as The Fugitive. Oh, how funny, how funny. And I noted, what I noted about some of these actors that was kind of sad was that they have all these mid-career or slightly later career where they're playing characters with lines. And as you see, their last few credits as they get older and older are things like, for him, it was, you know, um, passenger on airport. Yeah. That's it. Like they didn't even, but they were filling, they were, you know, they were hiring these guys, which was good. And that helped them keep their healthcare and whatnot with the guild. Yeah. But it's kind of like, wow. Okay. But they were working. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of true with uh, our next actor, Paul Sorensen, who played Red O'Leary, Bank Robbery and Protection. Mm -hmm. um, he had 205 credits, which is just bonkers. Um, but he later appeared on Star in Star Trek three um, search for stock Spock as captain. And I think I know which captain he was playing, but I need to go back and watch now. Um, <laughs> and he also showed up in Charlie's Angels and Dallas. Well, there you go. And Dallas, again, one of those classic nighttime soaps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Big Flora, Fraud and Extortion, played by Helene Winston. Uh, this was interesting. She was uh, first of two monkeys appearances. We'll be seeing her again in Monkeys on the Line. Um, between uh, another role of note was um, she played Gladys King in a Canadian sitcom in the 70s called King of Kensington. Oh, how funny. So and she must be Canadian-based because she also did Rachel Lind in her first TV movie was Anne of Green Anna Gables. Anne of Green Gables. That was the other one I noted. Yeah, she, I think it said in her um, uh, in her bio that she was born in Canada. So, And that's so, a huge – that's like her second role. And that's like, you know, a major character yeah. in the piece. So yeah. that's good. <laughs> yep. Pretty fit. Pretty cool. Um, let's see. John Kowal uh, playing Patty the Fix, drugs and diamond smuggling. Um, he is best known uh, roles aside from the monkeys are Star Trek, the original series in which he played Herm in the classic episode Mud's Women. Such a fun. Oh, my God. That's crazy yeah, one episode. of my favorites. And hmm. also appeared in Mannix and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And then um, I mentioned Vaudeville earlier. Uh, Paul Mousy Garner plays Benny the Book, bookmaking in numbers. Uh, he oh, apparently was literally the last active performer from the glory days of Vaudeville. Um, and his IMDb page, it starts in 1929 and it ends in 2008, which is actually four years after he passed. Right. That's something he'd filmed. That, but right. That right. Finally. <laughs> That's how many people could say that, like literally almost a hundred year career. Yeah. Yeah. 80, uh, 75. Yeah. 75 years active in movies, not counting all the vaudeville stuff he did prior to that. And he did, you know, kind of a lot of sitcoms and a lot of like comedy variety shows. Uh, he was, uh, showed up a lot in the Spike Jones show, this Red Skelton show. And of course, that classic of cinema, Cheech and Chong's next movie. <laughs> Can you imagine again from vaudeville and now you're hanging out with Cheech and Chong? From Chong's. vaudeville to oh. Cheech and Chong to the onion. I mean, that's, 
<laughs> I almost want to go see if I can find out more about the guy because can you just have to imagine the kind of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and the crazy thing is I've often said, even to my son, so much of the stuff we see in early 60s sitcoms, which eventually get copied in sort of Disney era things. I'm thinking here about Drake and Josh. A lot of the stuff oh, yeah. they did came out of stuff that happened in 60s sitcoms and the stuff that happened in the 60s sitcoms. Those writers were remembering gags they saw as kids in vaudeville. Yeah. But those writers don't get named, right? Because it, it got, they, their names disappeared. And then it's whoever put it in this one sitcom. We can go, oh, Bernie Ornstein. But he probably didn't make that up. No, no. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's like a timeline of the great gags of comedy and where they came from. So the uh-huh. idea that our guys got to work with this guy, right? Who probably worked with grandparents. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. Yeah. It's amazing. And then our last, uh, our last, uh, guest star today is, uh, Don Kennedy, who played the other policeman. Uh, this is actually his first of two appearances on the show. Uh, he will be seen in Monkey's Race again, which is not Monkey's on the Wheel. Um, lots of westerns and police procedurals. Uh, he was in the Ri- Rifleman, Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp, uh, Maverick, Tales of Wells Fargo, Gomer Pyle, USMC, and Simon and Simon. I'm sad that from Gomer Pyle to Simon and Simon is enough of a career jump. I know, because, yeah, I think it was it was towards the end of Gomer Pyle, because it was like an early 70s date. And then uh, and then, yeah, Simon and Simon is very much 80s. So crazy. Anything else you want to add about our guest stars or anything else before we jump into the episode? Oh, I was just thinking as I looked up, you know, all of them in the INDV, I read it, I realized that with them and with others that we've had in the past and will have in the future, we often see that they passed away in Woodland Hills, California. And I'll bet that some people around the country are like, boy, what was so exciting about Woodland Hills, California? Um, and why did they all live there? And it turns out, well, I mean, I knew this from living here, but the, the Motion Picture Academy has a country house and hospital. Essentially, it's their assisted living. And they created this years and years ago in the late, late fifties. Um, and it was really like the brainchild of Mary Pickford. So suddenly we're connecting Mary Pickford to these, you know, modern sixties mm-hmm. actors who are going to die in the nineties and early two thousands. But it's really, and it was, I always like to say a woman's idea because Jean Herschel was the first person who thought of it. And then she got the, the actors fund to, um, collect enough money. They say that on Mary Pickford's sets, when this started to be a thing, whenever she produced or worked on, she'd have buckets. And if you had a job that day, you had to put money in the bucket and you would eventually collect the money that they bought like 48 acres in Woodland Hills. And they built this assisted living place and it's still in use today. You have to have worked in the business for 20 years and it doesn't matter what you did. So there are secretaries, there are maintenance men who worked on studio lots there. It's no privilege. It's, you know, you sign up and mm-hmm. hopefully within a few months you have an opening and you get a little place there and that's it. And it's, if you're rich, you pay. And if you don't have any money, it's covered by the people who can pay. That's awesome. I've always thought that was very cool. Somebody like Hattie McDaniel, right? Who played Mammy and Gone with the Wind. Yeah. She lived there and died there. Norma Shearer is a famous silent film actress who was married to Irving Thalberg. She lived there for a time. Um, uh, uh, Robert Guillaume, who was Benson on television, he lived there. So it's amazing to me how that place has, has been a saving grace to so many people who didn't get residuals and didn't have the kind of savings that they might have needed, or they just wanted to go to a place where 
they could talk the talk with people who knew their stories. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think I've mentioned I work for a uh, Catholic university now that um, actually uh, the uh, Order of uh, Brothers who runs it, they have their uh, retirement home on the on the campus of our university. And um, just hearing those guys talk, it's wonderful. They're always coming through the library to check stuff out. Not, not as much so these days, but we still see well, them in the building from time to time. Exactly. Oh, no, I love that. When I, my first job was at a Catholic high school in Cleveland. And attached to it was the the hospital, if you will, where the the retired nuns lived. Yeah. And one of the work study jobs for girls, if you couldn't pay the tuition for the school, was that you worked there and you read to the older nuns who were bedridden and things like that. And you became a companion to them. And I always thought there'd be a movie or a book in the story of, you know, a modern young girl who has to get to know the stories of this older woman through this relationship. You have to write that now. That sounds awesome. You know, I haven't thought about that in many years, but I'll have to put that on my list of arrange this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool. But yeah, so I think it's wonderful. And I have a friend um, who is craft services and she's planning to go there when she retires. And she's so happy that it exists. And so I love when I see these different various actors, you know, and that that's where they ended up. So I know they were safe. Yeah, that's good to know. Because it does pop up a lot, and I had noticed that too. And I, I knew of the the retirement home, but certainly not in the the level of detail you just shared. So that's really people can look it up online. In fact, we'll put a link in the end if we want to look up their website and read all about who's been there. Oh yeah, that sounds right. Yes, let's throw a link in the show notes. Okay, onward to the episode. Oh, here's the thing. Thanks. You can have some cheese? No, cheese down here. Pizza's getting no salami. The monkeys are eating a three-foot-long submarine sandwich at Pop's restaurant. Have you noticed how all the grandpas in this ep- in this show are titled Pop? This is our I second Pop. <laughs> Monkey versus was machine. The slang of the period was it the writers? Are they because the writers aren't really of the period? Are they using slang from their own childhood? We don't know. Yeah, I was wondering that myself if that was just a '60s version of Grandpa or whatever. But well, in any case, they're eating their sandwich, and then Fuseli, gang boss, uh, the uh, uh, the short, smart, heavy gang boss, um, and then his. Tall, strong, heavy sidekick Rocco come in and begin browbeating Pop to sell him the place. He does finally cave in. Uh, Davy, of course, being Davy, stands up to the police, uh, unfortunately, with predictable inciting incident results. You punks don't work here anymore. Now get out before I throw you. Now, wait a minute. You can't push us around. Davy, you're pretty tougher than an old man. How about trying someone your own size? There ain't nobody here my size. Maybe you should get out of the business. Yeah. <laughs> You're pretty tough with a gun in your hand. <laughs> You're pretty tough with a fist in your hand. After the opening credits, it's time for a board meeting. We get that gavel that we saw in the pilot again, which is awesome. Right. Which I don't think we ever get again. I was trying to remember that. It seems like we've had a few, we have a few other meetings, but the, uh, that may be the only other appearance of the gavel. I think it's because Ornstein looked at the pilot and went, okay, this is the show you want me to write. That's a gimmick. I'll put that gimmick in. And other people started to work off newer episodes or 
um, in general, they just didn't use it. But yeah, I, I saw that the other day and thought, no, nah, that doesn't happen again, I don't think. Yeah, I'll have to go through and look. But in any case, the guys do decide that they're going to get the restaurant back for pop. Uh, they show up uh, to reapply for their jobs. Uh, and uh, we see the uh, old gag of the uh, Mike carrying the guitar case and the uh, hoods <laughs> freaking out. Insert the clip here. <laughs> Rocco, by the time I've finished, I will own a chain of restaurants in every major city in the West. Good boss, I get hungry on the road. Hi. Mm. We're the monkeys, remember? Rocco. Mm. Boss, there's a guitar in this guitar case. What do you want? Uh, well, Mr. Fusella, we thought we'd come and reapply for our job. I don't need no musicians. Yeah, but the people like us. But I don't like you. We work cheap. I'm beginning to like you. Fusilli is at first reluctant to rehire them, but agrees when they offer to work cheap. <laughs> uh, he doesn't just hire them as musicians, but kind of as uh, folks who do everything from waiting on tables to cooking spaghetti and uh, apparently hat check girls. I would have liked <laughs> to have seen that. <laughs> we don't get it's a shot of that. <laughs> Uh, after they're hired, Fuseli, in attempt to intimidate, intimidate the guys out of going to the police, demonstrates to them how uh, they handle people they don't like and has Rocco smack Peter. Then Mickey retaliates, but then ends up smacking Peter, too. Uh, <laughs> Fuseli sends them off to the boys, uh, off to Fuseli sends them off to work. And then uh, we have the montage to uh, Stepping Stone where they basically wreck the entire kitchen. Uh, I will note that I some of this footage was already seen in Success Story. I definitely remember the shot of uh, Mike with the uh, spaghetti on his head. And, and I think Monkey versus Machine. There may have been some of that in that Clarksville romp at the end. So, And the beach stuff. Oh, yes, and the beach stuff everywhere. That's always in there somewhere because we've got to have – I think there's like some rule where there has to be at least 10 seconds of shirtless Davy in every episode, at least early <laughs> on. <laughs> but at the end of this, we they decide it's time to get some help. They head for the police station. Uh, the police inspector agrees to help them and mentions that the only syndicate members captured so far are the Purple Flower Gang. It's always convenient how it's like four – hoods who got captured in these scenarios you know just happened to be four not seven not two always yeah. four yeah always four and tells the guys they have to get the goods on the hoods and uh, warns them of the dangers of course um davy tries to get fuseli's fingerprints by powdering up a glass of, of liquor which he or a glass of wine i should say that he hands to the gangster and of course his can he's wearing gloves so uh, <laughs> mickey records a tape of fuseli's conversation with rocco but then he recorded over himself uh, and then, well, then, <laughs> then my trust is just... understanding that equipment Exactly. Exactly. So, They've had problems with this before. One would think after the um the spy who came in from the cool, they would have learned how to do this. But in any case, <laughs> and then Mike tries to destroy a, the large safe in the office, but blows up the desk instead. And they have to make the safe resemble a desk. You know, standard monkey romp. Silliness. Exactly. Although they never paid that off by having the guys come in and actually sit there and use it as if they sold the idea. You're right. They did kind of leave that gun on the mantelpiece there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe it was in a. Uh, maybe they had a payoff that was in a cutscene or something. I don't know. Could have been, but the episode is short because as you get to the end, you'll notice obviously that it's short. So yeah. they should use it. I think they never got around to filming. They forgot or they didn't have time the day they were filming or something. I don't know. Uh, you're right because it was short because they just like okay. 
it's going on for a while. It stops. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. And then, uh, okay, we'll just throw in the uh, music video for She at the end and call it a day. Exactly. Yeah. Which has yeah. nothing to do with anything in this No, episode. no. It doesn't even thematically relate. I mean, <laughs> well, in any case, it's time for a meeting with the other members of the syndicate. And Fuseli orders the foursome to wait tables. Um, and then when the members arrive, they all introduce themselves, having never seen each other before uh, this evening for self-protection reasons. Gentlemen and ladies, the meeting will now come to order. For reasons of self-protection, none of us has ever met before. So uh, introduce yourselves. Red O'Leary, bank robbery and protection. Flora, fraud and extortion. Any defects? Drugs and uh, diamond smuggling. <laughs> I'm uh, up at the bending the book and bookmaking and numbers. Peter Tork, guitar and bass trombone. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Fuseli then orders the monkeys out of the room as the meeting's meeting begins. Um, the monkeys now whip out their tried and true quick change monkey magic, uh, mm-hmm. posing as the purple flower gang. Um, of course, when Flora inquires about their wearing white carnations, uh, Mickey replies, do you know how hard it is to get purple flowers? <laughs> uh, and then, of course, Peter, being Peter, blows it when he asks for some food. Fuseli calls out for the waiters, but the guys say they got to inspect the kitchen. And then it just turns into craziness. Peter goes to help from the police. To get help from the police, he manages to overcome Rocco with a toy gun. Um, of course, the police think he's part of the Purple Flower Gang. Why? Because he's dressed in the right costume. Yes, but why they would just traipse into the police anyway uh, and and they question him and he of course cracks in like 30 seconds uh, <laughs> Fuseli starts dividing up the crime operations among the mobsters um, and then uh, we get lots of quick changing between gangsters and waiters from uh, Mickey, Mike and Davey uh, once that's done um, basically Mike and Davey get kind of incite an argument about the split being unfair and then start playing tic-tac-toe on the map um, and then Mickey tells them all they're being double crossed and then all heck breaks loose as they uh, draw out their guns leading to the aforementioned violent gunfight and everybody else hides under the table uh, with one break. Mickey stops the deadly gunfight long enough, enough to allow a pretty girl to enter, smile and exit. Because the director asked for that, which I thought was weird. Exactly. <laughs> Despite Mickey's efforts to temper the gunfight, the entire syndicate knocks each other off, uh, while Mike keeps beating Davey and Tic-Tac-Toe until Davey finally wins. (laughs) (laughs) And then Peter arrives with the police, who arrests the other monkeys, uh, thinking they are all the Purple Flower Gang. And then we get a uh, brief romp to more of Not Your Stepping Stone, concluding with the guys moaning as they pace in their cell. Um... As is often the case with the monkeys, they kind of skip the clearing up the mix-up bit and Mm -hmm. just head straight for the denouement. Pop returns and tells them to play like they used to, and (laughs) we get uh, another musical number, She. (laughs) The end. 
Pretty much, pretty much. And you know, when you talk about the the going through the doors in the kitchen and changing, quick changing, and all that stuff, and I was saying the thing about how we keep repeating these vaudeville gags. It reminded me that when my son was little, we watched a lot of the movie Emperor's New Groove, which plays mm. that same gag. That's right. Well, I mean, it's it's a classic. It shows up in a lot of things over the years. It does. It's a classic. It continues, but it came from vaudeville. Yeah, I can believe it. Yeah. So Emperor's New Groove, if there's like anybody who hasn't seen that movie, I'm sure most people who are listening to this have. But if you haven't, go watch it. <laughs> quite fun. Quite a great cast. If you're a, yeah, if you're a monkey's person, you'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> very similar humor um so yeah anything else we need to say about this episode in terms of setting it all up or just in, in terms of uh, the themes of the episode i mean it was pretty much your standard you know italian right it doesn't like it doesn't come across with these major themes like some of them in the past have really been clearly anti-authority or whatever i mean the thing that i thought about seeing this is again placing it in its context um, a lot of people don't realize or don't think about the fact that Italians were sort of one of the earliest unwanted immigrants. Yeah. And this is, even though it's the 60s, we're still kind of in that place. Oddly, what's going to make Italians more acceptable? And this is the interesting thing I read once, that we allow food and entertainment slash music from um, new exotic or, or ununderstood groups into our homes before we let those people in. And so in the Italian world, that's going to be spaghetti, which people are going to learn about after World War II, mm-hmm. um, and Frank Sinatra. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking of Frank Sinatra. Yeah, there's a really great book, a little slim book called Why Sinatra Matters by Pete Hamill. Hmm. And he got to hang around with Sinatra in his later years. He's a sports writer. And he talks, gives a little bit of Italian history. People don't realize that actually one of the the largest mass lynching happened to a group of Italian men in the South um, wow. after uh, they weren't convicted of something they didn't do, but everybody around them thought they did. So there was a lot of anti-Italian attitudes. And you'll notice in this episode, they use the word syndicate. They don't say black hand. They don't say mafia. Mm-hmm. And that's going to come up in the Godfather, which is going to happen in 1972 um, both the novel, well, the novel comes in 69. And in the novel, they use mafia, but in the movie, they, to be polite to the Italian American societies who were going to protest the movie, um, changed it and didn't use that word because that is a derogatory word. And yet it is the word used in Sicily and that is where the mafia was invented. So mm-hmm. it's one of the classic stereotypes. Yes, the mafia came from Sicily, but it doesn't mean all Sicilians are of the mafia. Right. So all that stuff was going on in this time period. And I think it's interesting that um, we were talking earlier about the fact that Mario Puzo earlier had written a novel called The Fortunate Pilgrim, which was a story about his mother as an immigrant and what her family did. And it was the good immigrants who, you know, got together, mm-hmm. got the education, moved up in the world. And the publishing company were like, there's this character in here, the young son who gets invited to join the mafia and he doesn't do it. We think you should write a book about the guy who does do it. And of course, that's The Godfather. And he was always upset yeah. that his first novel, which was an homage to his mother, doesn't get any attention. And it's the one that he made up because he didn't have any mafia connections. Yeah, I'd had no clue that novel was a thing. I did. I knew Godfather and some of his later stuff. But yeah, I'm going to have to go back and find that now. But that sounds good. really interesting. It's a good book. But I, yeah. I think it's interesting to think in, in connection to the fact that we all know, of course, that Mickey's dad was from a, a section of the world that was hadn't been and then was Italy. Yes. And so that's his background. Um, and at that time, he is the exotic minority, and nobody would think that today. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I've often wondered if Bob and Bert did this deliberately or if it just kind of happened because of the people who had the most chemistry, because the four of them had the most chemistry of the, you know, the, the, the auditions. I think that's easy to say, having yeah. talked about that in the, our last uh, episode about the pilot. But um, you've got a, a an East Coast guy a Texas guy, a British guy because 60s, and yeah. then a West Coast slash, air quotes, ethnic guy. Exactly. It's like the four, you know, the, the, the four parts, right? Head, yeah. heart, hands, and whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's that level yeah. of, oh, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we're, we're still in the 60s where, where civil rights movement is really not exploded yet. It's about to, we're in 66. So we're not in 68, right. With Martin Luther King and all that stuff. We know him, but he's not as known around the whole world. Yeah. I mean, we've had the civil rights act by this point and stuff. So I'd say it's kind of, yeah. 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 But it's not like mainstream America is still not ready to accept. So we're not going to have an African-American fourth character. Um, and there isn't really another, you know, maybe an Irish guy, an uber Irish guy, maybe. But by then, you know, we've had an Irish president, so yeah, they're not yeah. so weird anymore. But we've never had an Italian president. Not, yeah. <laughs> so it's just interesting that the places in that period. Um, I don't think this is, I don't think that this is as troublesome an episode as we'll see when we get around to some of the episodes that have to do with, with Romani and uh, Asian uh, people of Asian descent. Yeah. <clears throat> Monkey chummy. Um, <laughs> who don't like the association of Italians and gangsters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's there, but it's in kind of this joking, loving kind of way almost, you know? Yes, I would agree. And so, you know, and who knows why? Because they're classic characters, right? These guys grew up watching the Cagney movies, right? Exactly. So. Exactly. I mean, you know, there's a reason that Mickey is always doing his, you know, Cagney or his Edward G. Robinson or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. It's part of their childhood, the movies they love. So. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, moving on from the show, uh, we had two songs in this episode. First, uh, obviously, was I'm Not Your Stepping Stone. We covered that one in Spy Who Came In from The Cool, if you want to know the personnel on that. And then this was the first episode featuring She. Uh, that was done by Boyce and Hart. It was recorded on August 15th and August 27th of uh, 66. Personnel. Mickey Dolan's leading backing vocal, Ron Hicklin, Tommy Boyce, Peter Tork, and Davy Jones on backing vocals, uh, Wayne Irwin on backing vocal and guitar, Jerry McGee and Louis Shelton on guitars, Larry Taylor bass, Billy Lewis drums, Norm Jeffries tambourine, Bobby Hart organ backing vocal, and an unknown additional tambourine. So, there we go. I have to say, the thing about she... Mm-hmm. That works for me, and I'm not like the music person, but I, I I think about words all the time. And just she told me that she loved me says so much. Oh yeah, in so few words that you instantly like, oh the poor guy. Like mm-hmm. it is so well written as a song. It I think that's why it has such such long lasting whatever. Yeah, I mean it's not. I mean it it does get played in concerts and it, but it, I wouldn't call it like the first in the first tier of songs. But it's it's really one of Boyce and Hart's better ones, I think, as far especially from a lyrical standpoint. Exactly, you that, just get drawn opinion. into the 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 story, and you know you want to hug the boy and tell him it'll be all right, and you know take him home, and and which makes <laughs> it of course the perfect monkey song. <laughs> yes, and the perfect Mickey song, right? Well, yeah, yeah, for a Mickey girl. For a Mickey girl, exactly. 
Any final thoughts about the episode or anything else related to this? I think we did it justice and it was it was fun to revisit. Yeah, absolutely. Next time we will be discussing episode 12 of The Monkees. I've got a little song here. Uh, Monkey Madness begins when Mike is conned out of 99.95 by a phony music publisher. Um, I gotta say, without the, with the possible exception of Monkey versus Machine, this is kind of like the first Mike spotlight episode. Definitely. And you wonder if the producers did that because they're the way till these guys learn how to act more, right? They could focus on Mickey and Davey because they knew they had acting chops. So right. there's that possibility. But I also think it's cute because look how these are back to back and they're both episodes where it's the younger people helping the older character. Yeah. Yeah. And Speaking now that, generation. yeah. And then it kind of gets turned around what they have to, they have to figure out, you know, how to help Mike, which is interesting because he's already kind of been set up as the, not really dad figure, but the, the, the big brother, the leader, definitely. Right, the leader of the group. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he's fallen for a scam. Mm-hmm. And the other guys have to come and bail him out. And, um, you know, I would say as far as his acting performances go, this is, uh, this is probably my favorite of his from the first season. I agree. I agree. I think this is his, um, he actually takes it seriously as much as you can take a comedy seriously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely got, a, you know, a little bit. It's it's another one kind of like success story is it's got a, a little bit more meat on the bones. And we'll see it again. That's kind of true with most of the spotlight episodes. Um, one Man Shy also has a little bit more there there in some ways. Yes, exactly. As much, you know, people always say that the trick that you're looking for in even any piece of comedy is you have to have some heart. Mm-hmm. Hello, damn Yankees, you got to have heart. <laughs> <laughs> but you do because that's what connects people to it. Otherwise, it's a string of jokes. And after a while, I've seen the jokes and they're not fun anymore. Exactly. I mean, we were just talking about this. These jokes in this episode were mostly from the days of vaudeville, in some case, told by literal vaudevillians in this episode. Exactly. And yet when I go watch a lot because I don't there's no connection to it. It's just funny. Exactly. And yet we're talking about it 55 years later. And the reason we're talking about 55 years later is because of the care that was put into it. And like you said, of the chemistry and like the actual attempt to put like some heart into some of these episodes. Exactly. Exactly. That's why the show survives. Yeah, absolutely. So we will talk more about that next time. We don't want to use up all of our our material right now. So uh, stay tuned to Zilch and we'll, we'll catch you again soon on monkeys. One Oh one. Bye. 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 Dr. Roseanne Welch is a Mickey girl and the author of why the monkeys matter. Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture. After a career of writing for television shows like Touched by an Angel, Picket Fences, and Beverly Hills 90210, Roseanne shifted gears and went into education. She now writes on film and television studies and teaches in the screenwriting program at Stevens College. Dr. Sarah Clark is an April Conquest and proud of it. When not podcasting here at Zilch, a monkey's podcast, or writing at her blog, Fandom Lenses, her not-terribly-secret identity, she can be found leading a university library in the Philadelphia area. Sarah is convinced that her utter inability to understand Head when she was 11 sparked the intellectual curiosity that led her into academia. If only she'd known the guys themselves didn't understand Head either. Okay, thank you everybody for listening to Roseanne and I go on about Monkeys on the Cart. Um, we love talking about the historical context and the music and of course the guest stars and, um, 
I have a bit of a confession to make. Uh, I was talking to Tim before we got ready to record, and I asked him if he wanted to share his opinions of this episode, and he did, and he also wanted to talk about a couple of our guest stars, but he told me something I did not know about Mousy Gardner. Somehow we missed it. So, Tim, why don't you share your feelings about Monkeys a la carte, which is, you know, just an awesome first season episode, and some tidbits that you wanted to share as well. It really, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty typical first season episode, right? The, yeah. the guys get in trouble. They find their way out of it. It's great. The only thing missing is Davy doesn't fall in love, but this is rife with guest stars. And one of the cool things about first season monkeys, especially is that they try to mix like new Hollywood stuff with old Hollywood, uh, actors, you know, established TV stars. And, and it, like, I'm, you talked about Mousy back in, in vaudeville. What? Sarah didn't know, and what I'm guessing Roseanne didn't know either, and I love the fact that I get to stump both of these insanely intelligent women and fans, Monkeys fans, who literally wrote books on the show. Mousy Garner, uh, Benny the Ball, Benny the Book, Benny, Benny the, the book. Ball, different, different show. Benny uh. the Book, Paul Mousy Gardner was the last living person to be able to claim that he was a member of the Three Stooges. Now you say, I never saw Paul Mousy Gardner in, in any of the Three Stooges shorts. That's true. You never saw them in the Columbia shorts, which were also shot at the same studio as our boys, uh, the Sunset and Gower lot. But anyway, Mousy Gardner, uh, worked with two other Stooges and Ted Healy, the guy that actually founded the original comedy troupe that consisted of Ted Healy as the straight guy and Shemp, Larry and Moe. Shemp, Larry, Moe, and eventually Curly had a falling out with this Ted Healy fellow. And Ted Healy took his act on the road and hired three other stooges, one of them being Mousy Gardner. And Mousy was the last surviving of all, uh, of, of anyone who can claim to actually be a stooge. Wow. I mean, I, 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 I'm more of a Marx Brothers person than a Stooges person, so I I know the rabbit hole goes down very deeply with the Stooges, but I've never gone all the way down. So that is amazing. They are they are worlds apart. Yes, the, the Marx Brothers and the and and the Stooges, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's really interesting. And by all accounts, uh, Mousy was a really sweet guy. We have a mutual friend, um, and um. And by all accounts, Mousy was just a, just a sweet old man, really funny, had tons of great stories and, um, spoke very highly of his time, uh, with Ted Healy, which is not an easy thing to do. Cause if you know anything about Ted Healy, he was not, <laughs> not a nice fella. Um, and then we also talked about Harvey Limbeck, right? Who, uh, who was Fuseli, of course, and, um, was, um, you know, you, you see him in all those beach movies, Baron von Zippa, right? <laughs> yeah, we uh, talked about that. <laughs> right. And, and he was in, you know, a bunch of, bunch of sitcoms before the monkeys and stuff like that. But he has a legacy that goes beyond his own career. Um, his son was Captain Cool from Captain Cool and the Kongs on the old Croft Super Show, which, uh, you know, if we, we want to talk about fake bands. They don't get more fake than that. <laughs> Uh, and his daughter, Helene, um, was also cast in, she was on Welcome Back Cotter, uh, and she was in the Magic Mongo segment of the show hosted by her own brother. Um, and up until, I want to say COVID hit, uh, 
there was the Lembeck School of, of Comedy in Hollywood. Um, and uh, their graduates include people like Robin Williams and Will Ferrell. And it is a, it's a wonderful place to launch wow. a, uh, a, a skilled comedy career. I speak to that as a, as a former comedian and, um, you know, guy who's done stage time at the improv and the comedy store. And the, the Lembeck was always on my bucket list, <laughs> but I, I didn't make it. So yeah. I, I never took the shot, but I also never made it. Um, this is such a fun episode though. The guys just, the yeah. guys had gelled by this point and, and all the, all the shenanigans, all of everything they did was just so fantastic. Um, yeah. So that's, th- those are my notes on the show. And I love the fact that, like I said, I can stump two of the most hardcore, uh, minutia minded fans I've ever heard. You're well, the monkeys one one is one of my favorite segments of Zilch. So. Thank I love you. that I get to play. We, part we always worry that we nerd out a little too much, but we know Zilch Nation, you guys are here for it. Um, but I got to tell you, some of the problem is, is we could have gone on for like three hours with the cast because we had like 10 guest stars in that episode. It was, it was bonkers. So watch it. The next time we have, have another one with like just a ton of guest stars, the old Hollywood guest stars are too deep for us to dig in. We might call upon you. So I would love it. Now I have a question is, is Dort Clark the only guest star to appear in more than one episode on the show? Um, there was another one. I want to say Don Kennedy was in two episodes. Yes, that's it. I knew there was another one. I just couldn't remember who. Okay. Thank you. He was in he was in this episode and my least favorite episode. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? I'm not a fan of, of Nazis in any you know yeah. making fun yeah. of them at all. All yeah. right. Well, cool. Um, what so much fun and uh, you know I, I keep doing these, Sarah, because they they really are. I you know I've been a member of Zilch Nation since episode one, episode mm-hmm. zero, really. And we've, I've seen a lot of fun stuff come and go and monkeys 101 remains, uh, one of my favorite things because I nerd out about this stuff, you know, and then it's, it's infecting, right? Because yeah. the, all of a sudden you're watching some old movie and oh, you're like, yeah. that's, 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 that, that's that guy. It is right? the same thing as, you know, we talk a lot about how the monkeys music is kind of because most of it got us, uh, us got into it when we were kids, kind of like, you know, that nine to 13 years old sweet spot. Yep. And it's kind of our gateway to like all other genres of classic rock and even, you know, country and, you know, all kinds of things because it touched so many kinds of things. Right. And, but really the same thing is true of the TV show. Yeah. Because you, you know, like I, you know, the joke about the monkeys being like the Marx Brothers, I probably, you know, I probably watched like Duck Soup 10 years earlier than I would have otherwise, you know? (laughs) Excellent. When you do Some Like It Lukewarm. Mm-hmm. I really want to sit in on that episode. Okay, we've got a while till we get to that one. But, oh, uh, I know. But the, <laughs> I'll make the, a writer, note. the writer of that episode, Stanley Zach Cherry, was a friend of mine. Oh, wow. And okay. I, want to, I want to tell you that story. Okay, well, then Roseanne will definitely want to know that story because, you know, she's all about the writers. So. Yep, yep, yep. yep. 
Okay. Well, I think we have pretty much covered everything for this episode of Zilch. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to keep doing our thing. Lots more Monkeys 101. We're starting to talk about uh, our next set of album roundtables, hopefully coming in the not-too-distant future. Don't We have not forgotten those. We've got three albums left to go, and then we'll have to decide whether we want to revisit uh, Good Times and Christmas Party. But I wouldn't surprise me if we find an excuse to do that. So... <laughs> Oh, you know what? You keep listening. We'll keep doing stuff. Absolutely. As long as this is fun for us and as long as it's fun for y'all, we're going to do this. So stay tuned and uh, we'll be back in your earbuds soon enough with Zilch, podcast full of monkeys. Bye. Smell you later, Zilch Nation. You okay. Can cut, you can cut that at the end if you want. I don't oh, care. Oh, I'm so. keeping that in there. All right. <laughs> and that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Burke. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. <laughs> Don't now. Now, really, everybody cool it because I won't be able to get through this. Action. Hey, wow. It's a groovy button. What does it say? Love is the ultimate trip. Oh, gee, that's a nice thought. Gee, that's a neat button. What does it say? Let's go again. Okay. This would be a good place for a transition. Yes, and I was about to transit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations. I don't know how your husband feels about that, but best of luck to you. There's one for the blooper reel. Uh-huh.